Amen. Cool, cool. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 16. And uh, and last week, what a wonderful day it was. Celebrating 37 years of Trinity Baptist Temple. And um, again, those of you who normally come to this service, 915, uh, I know several of you came back and fellowshiped with us. And I just want to say thank you. Again, we, as I shared last week, we were trying to figure out how um, to, to encourage as many people as possible to come back if you come to the 915 service. And uh, some of you said, oh, we'll come back, but we'll come to the 11 o'clock service. And that worked out too. Uh, again, as it was a little reminiscent. If you were here on the 11 o'clock service last week, uh, that's typically what we were experiencing when we were just doing one service. Uh, we were talking about last week the numbers in the second service was like what we used to experience when we just had one service about. And so it's just neat to see what God's been doing. And, and um, again, just an awesome thing. Our deacon ministry, I want to say again thank you to those uh, deacons and their families uh, and other people I know helped them. But as always, they knocked it out of the park. I had so many people say amen. Praise God. <clears throat> so many people uh, just enjoyed not only the service, but the fellowship afterwards. The food was awesome. Uh, just a great day. Again, just thank you for, for, for being here. Thank you for being faithful, for serving. I'm excited to see what God does in, uh, in, the, in the years, if He gives us years, and the days, whatever He gives us, whatever, whatever He has in store. I'm excited to see what He has. So, um, If you were here, again, we talked about the Macedonian vision. Uh, we covered that mostly. Uh, Paul and his team, we saw, were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go into Asia Minor. And if you were here, again, they, they've kind of started going back through the, the route they, they had gone in the first journey, strengthening the churches. Uh, they were strengthened. They were encouraged. The church was growing. And then the, the Bible says that they were intending to go into Asia Minor, which, again, we don't have all the, all the logistics. Scripture tells us some things, and history tells us some other things. Um, but regardless, they had intended to go into Asia Minor, basically uh, reach that whole region, and the Holy Spirit said no, at least not right now. And, and that's the interesting thing. Sometimes we think God is saying no, and sometimes He's saying not right now. Uh, and sometimes it's not us, which, which can be difficult as well. Um, but so they say, no, we can't go there. They keep going. They say, well, we'll just go a little bit northeast. And the Holy Spirit says no. So He gets this vision. This man in Macedonia says, come over to help us. And so again, the Holy Spirit revealing to him uh, what they needed to be doing. And so they travel to what we know as modern-day Greece. And uh, again, this, this change in plans we talked about was probably a little more costly. This uh, meant probably more sacrifice for them, uh, not only just financially, you know, costly, but also on their body, on their, on their, their spiritual state. I mean, all these things, again, they were entering to uh, basically greater risk, if you will, as they go onto the sea, as they go across the land, go into Greece into this new area. And we on and on and on we can go about this, but we saw three things in our message, and it was, I think, so important for us to remember what we saw. We need to make sure, number one, that we always stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Because we can get into a place where we're looking to serve God in a way that makes more sense or a little more comfortable to us, or we can get in a rut like that too, I think. Sometimes we're just, well, I've just always done this, or uh, whatever the case may be. And it's okay to always have done that. But make sure that you're staying sensitive to the Holy Spirit in what you're doing. There's nothing wrong with serving the Lord in the children's ministry for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. There's nothing wrong with being a pastor for that long. There's nothing wrong with being in the music ministry or being in the tech ministry or any, any type of ministry. There's nothing wrong with being that long. The, the key is this, no matter what, 
is that we're not just looking for a place of comfort to serve, that we're always staying sensitive to the Holy Spirit. The second thing is this, is that we are never just to follow our hearts, because we know along the path of serving God, there are going to be difficult times, there are going to be trials, there are going to be things that we say in our hearts and our minds, well, I really want to do this, or this makes a lot more sense to me, or it would just be a lot easier if I left and did this. It would just, be make, it just, just help a lot easier. Get rid of all the problems, get rid of all the troubles, and that's just not the truth. Remember we saw the, the Bible that says this, that the heart is desperately, it's deceitful above all things, so we can get a lot of trouble when we start just following our own heart. We need to be careful never to just follow our heart. Number three, was that we need to make sure that we're constantly maintaining and operating in unity. And that goes from in unity from the leader to the other leaders throughout the whole church. Again, we saw this with this team. They could have bailed on Paul. They could have said, look, Paul, you've gone off the rocker. Uh, we're not going across the sea. We've done this stuff before. We're not going to do this. It makes a lot more sense. We've already talked about it. We've already planned this out. We're just going to go into Asia Minor. If you want to go over to Greece, fine. You go do your thing. But they could have done that. Instead of staying unified and supporting the leader when things would get harder, they could have left. They could have done even what they wanted to do. They could have followed their heart, but they didn't. Again, as a missionary team, we're going to see the result of their obedience to the Spirit and their dedication of staying unified in, in the Spirit and as a team on the mission. And so again, this is such a vital part of this, this journey here this morning. Let's pray and we'll jump into it. Father, thank you once again for this time. Thank you for what we've already experienced uh, this morning, the time of prayer and fellowship, the time of, of worship and, and singing, Lord. Lord, we pray now that your spirit would move. Uh, Lord, you know, just a vessel. Um, we're, we're, we're all here, sinners, saved by your grace. Lord, there may be some here that, that aren't saved, some that don't have that personal relationship with you. And I pray that you would just work in their life this morning, that you would draw them to yourself. And then if there is somebody here that's lost, that they would leave this place different than they came. Or that they would enter into that relationship with you this morning. And maybe there's those who are saved here this morning that need, need to leave a little different as well. Uh, maybe not necessarily in, in salvation matters, but in the issue of their, their relationship with you or their relationship to your church. Their relationship to the mission. Lord, just have your way. We'll just move now and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 16, verse 11. So they get this vision. They say, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to go over to Greece, I guess. So putting out to sea from Troas, they ran straight, ran a straight course to uh, Samothrace. So this is a little island in between uh, the two pieces of land there uh, from Turkey and Greece, a little island there. And it says that the next day following, they made it to Neapolis. Again, last week we talked about how there could have been this bucking of Paul's leadership. They, they, there's smart people on the team. There were wise people on the team. There were talented people on the team. Obviously people who were surrendered on the team. And they could have bucked his leadership. It was a leadership that was taking them to a more difficult place in ministry. Where they would have to sacrifice more. Where they'd have to, to give more of themselves. They'd have to, as I said, well, I'll go risk more. But they didn't. And the reason I bring this up is because they could have stayed on land. And as I said, they could have made the, the rounds there in Asia Minor. They could have done all this, and it would have been all good things. 
They could have gone north, all good things. But they determined as a team to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And again, the leader that the Lord set up, and it led them to, no doubt, a more difficult ministry. I said, well, that, that doesn't sound like fun. <laughs> that doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound great, right? I mean, that, 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 why would they do that when if, if they could go to Asia Minor, they could go a little north, and, and they could experience good ministry, why would they have to, to go across the sea and then go into a more difficult ministry? One commentator said that the reason they may have stayed overnight there at uh, Samothrace is to avoid the hazards associated with sailing in the dark. And it's interesting that they waited to do that until the next day uh, to travel to Neapolis because it says this in verse 12 that it was from there that they went to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, which is a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. It's also interesting to note uh, that Philippi is uh, about 10 miles inland from Neapolis, that port city. Um, and it was named after Philip II of Macedon. And uh, he was the father of Ag Alexander the Great, uh, by the way. But this was a Roman colony. It became a Roman colony in 31 B.C. And so because it was this, it carried the right of freedom. They, they were able to be governed and independent uh, of the providential government. They had the right of exemption from tax and also the right of holding land in full ownership. So this is the land that they were going into. This is a, a place that they were going into. And, and the reason I share that is because you can imagine these people were pretty good with the way that their life was. They were pretty comfortable with, the, with how things were going. And, and we bring that out because, about, because of what we're about to see in verse 13. It says this, And on the Sabbath day they, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing, we're expecting that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. We say, well, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that, but it's a note. Make a middle note of that. We'll, we'll get to it in just a second. There they, they meet a woman named Lydia in verse 14. She was from the city of Thyatira. She was a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, and she was listening to what they had to say. And as she listened, the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. When she and her, husband, or she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. She begged, Hey, please stay. Please stay. Now, this first point that I'm going to share with you this morning, um, we might not get right, right away, but, but it's there. And it's this in your notes. Difficult ministry often leads to fruitful ministry. Difficult ministry often leads to fruitful ministry. <clears throat> I've always said that um, anything worthwhile takes time, effort, and sacrifice. Um, whether it's a, a relationship, marriage, kids, raising kids, church, ministry, um, it takes time, effort, and sacrifice. It's worthy. But their decision, this team, to follow Paul and more accurately the Holy Spirit led them to a difficult place. Again, they stayed at this island overnight to avoid the hazards. They go into this new city. They go into this place where it's a little more comfortable. They, they, again, this ministry became more challenging for these followers of Christ. 
And the truth is this, and we've talked about this before in other messages, but in our life today, and I believe specifically as Christians in America, we often want things easy. We often want things convenient and comfortable. And when we start talking about the word sacrifice, we often think that we've done enough. We don't want to sacrifice. We don't want to labor. Many, many people who are Christians in America are so tired already. And so when you start talking about laboring for the Lord to the point of exhaustion, many Christians say, I'm too tired already. I don't want to serve God more. I can't serve God more. I'm too worn out already. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I've got too much going on. I, don't want, I can't serve God to the point of exhaustion. So we don't want to labor. We don't want to have ministry impede on our life. But I think that in this mindset or this heart set, this culture that exists in America, in Christianity, we forget these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, where he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, because you've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, I think it's so vital for us to remember this. Again, we're studying this team. Maybe, maybe Paul reminded them of this as they began to go out on the sea. Maybe he didn't have to. Maybe it was, it was, it was a simple thing. They were all unified. They were all in. They were willing to sacrifice all. They, they all remember they were bought with a price. All these things were there. And so Paul said, hey, God gave me a vision. The Holy Spirit spoke to me. we got to go over to Macedonia. And maybe the team said, absolutely, let's go, man. We're ready. Whatever it takes. If he, it, you know, we just sang the song, Christ be magnified in me. No matter what, whether it's by life or death, I just want Christ magnified. Regardless of the case, they took the path of obedience, which was a more difficult ministry. But that more difficult ministry, that more difficult journey that led them to Philippi, led them to a riverside where there was a group of women, and one woman in particular, where God gave fruit. A woman named Lydia. So this difficult ministry led to a fruitful ministry. And what's interesting is this, in verse 13 it says this, On the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to a riverside where they were supposing there would be a place of prayer. We sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Now, based on history and based on what we know, this would mean that there were not enough Jewish men to form a synagogue. There would have to be at least ten heads of households to form the synagogue. And so because these women were gathered by a riverside, it's, it's believed that this was uh, the designated place for those who were praying, those who were seeking God, those who were gathering for God. Someone commented that this place here in Philippi was most likely located where the road leading out of the city crossed the uh, uh, Gangites River. Regardless, this team says, you know what, this is how we work. We go into a city, we go to the synagogue. Maybe because there is no synagogue here, they go to the riverside. Their difficult journey leads them in their continual labor, laboring to this woman named Lydia. And the Bible says that this woman named Lydia gets saved, and not only her, but her household, all of them are saved and baptized. And I, I love the point here as well, that the women listened. But we only hear of one being saved and baptized. 
The Bible doesn't give us details on what happened after that point. We don't know if, if, if Lydia led all those other ladies in her Bible study group to the Lord. We don't, we don't know what happened beyond that. But the Bible says that the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things that Paul spoke. And I think it's so vital for us to remember that our call is to simply sow the seeds. It's to simply water those seeds that have been sown. But the fruit is always, it's always been, and it always will be God's business. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, So neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters is anything, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. There's that word again, labor. For we are all God's fellow workers. You are God's field, you are God's building. And I believe that when you and I have that perspective, and I think maybe we could say especially as American Christians in 2022, when we have that perspective in our life, we cannot be sidetracked or fooled to believe that one soul isn't worth it. Man, what are, what are we, how are we serving God? What are we, how are we laboring? What are we sacrificing? How are we sowing? How are we watering? What does our life look like? And say, man, I, I've tried to be faithful to God. I invite people all the time. I'm, I, you know, I serve God. I, I read my Bible. I pray. I, I witness when I can. I do all these things. And I've never, not once, ever led anybody to the Lord. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I, I believe that there would be several Christians in here that would say, I've never had the opportunity I've talked to people, I've given them tracts, I've witnessed to people, I've invited people, I've pointed them to websites, I've, I've, I've had other people talk to them, but I've never in my life led one person to the Lord. Do not forget what the scripture just said. One sows, one waters, but it's God that gives the increase. We are, we are all, we are all to be, we are, the Bible says that we are all fellow laborers together with God. We're the vessels, we're the instruments. So whether we're sowing or whether we're watering or whether God allows us in his grace to be a part of that miraculous moment where he saves somebody's soul for all of eternity and we are, we are there to, to witness that. Whatever the case may be, it's God who gets the glory. And someone might speculate, they came all that way they, they sacrificed, they risked their lives. I mean, how, what, what would the, some of their wives think? What if some of their kids, I mean, what if they got out on that sea, risking their life, and what if they died in the middle of that sea because they, they, they were following this leader who led them to this more difficult and dangerous ministry, and they left their wives and their families, and maybe they had widow, you know, uh, widow grandmothers and, and, and all that behind. How, how selfish was Paul, selfish was this team to go, and, and, and all they got was one lady and her family? What if, they, what if they end up dying because of this? Again, they make it to this city, first, first city they, they preach in, first church service they do, and they've got one convert in her family. Some people might say, man, was, it really all, was, it, was all that really worth it? And I think the answer would be Absolutely. Absolutely. And the reason why I say that is because I think, and I can be just as guilty, I think we can be guilty of forgetting the importance of one soul when it's not our own. Right? 
I mean, it's, it's somebody else's life. It's somebody else's soul. It's somebody else's eternity. We forget that we were the one at one point. Oh, praise God. Yeah, at one point, we may have been, you said, no, not me. I mean, I went down, for, I went down to the altar one time, or I'm, I moved forward at an event, and there was, there was 50 or 60 people. Praise God, but you were still one soul. I still remember the day that I got saved in a, a little Christian school there in Connecticut. It was on a Friday. We were having Bible class, and I was sitting next to my best friend, and I was sitting there battling, 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 battling because I had told everybody because I had assumed at that point I was saved. But for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks I was convicted that I was not saved. And I was battling, battling, battling. When, when I knew what was coming at the end of the Bible lesson that the Bible teacher was going to say, you know, everybody bow your heads, everybody close your eyes. If you're here this morning and you're not positive that if you were to die, you were to spend eternity in heaven, I want you to just slip your hand up. And, and, and let me see. I want to pray for you, and I want to tell you what to do. And I, I remember for weeks he would do that every, every time. And, and I knew what was coming as he was teaching that lesson. And as we neared the end, man, I was nervous. I was under conviction. I, I knew I needed to be saved. I knew I had never, like, surrendered. I, I remember going through the motions and praying the prayer. I remember my, my mom doing all that and telling me the story. But I could not wrap my mind. My heart was not there at, at that, that time that I truly knew I surrendered my life to Christ. And man, that time was coming, and when he did that, he said, I want you to just slip your, everybody's bow, bow your heads, close your eyes, I want you to slip your hand up if you're not positive, you're going to spend eternity in heaven. And I remember, man, just conviction and struggle, and, and then there was this just release. And I remember raising my hand. And I said, he said, I, I want you, if you raise your hand, I want you to come up front. Everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed still. And that was the next step I took, got up, went down forward. And I was the only one who went. But I remember that day, surrendering my life to Christ as a 10-year-old boy. And again, I think I can be guilty sometimes of forgetting how important just one soul is. And we forget that we were the one. You know, if we were in Lydia's shoes, put yourself in her shoes. She'd been, she'd been seeking God. She'd been um, trying, to, trying to trust God the best that she knew how. She had heard the gospel yet until this team came and shared the gospel with them. And when Paul and the missionary team show up, show up at that riverside, there she is, and God opens her heart. She's listening to the gospel message. How important and impactful was their journey to her? How, how important and impactful was their obedience to the Holy Spirit to her? Can you imagine how she walked away from that riverside, having been saved and going back to her household and, and sharing? This is what it all means. You know how we've been worshiping God like this? You know how we've been doing this and sacrificing and, and, and going through all these ceremonies about Jesus, the Messiah He's come. We've been told this missionary team came. They traveled all the way across the sea to tell us that it's Jesus. How important and impactful was their journey eternally important and impactful. That's how important. We need not discount the fruit that God gives, whether it's one soul being saved or 100, whether one family joins our church or 100, whether one soul is baptized or 100. It's God's work, and we should rejoice. But as it is still today, I want you to look. They go from this great experience. Man, 
Was it worth it to them? Absolutely. Can you imagine them? They're tired. They've been on the, the seas. They, they, don't, they don't have like a hotel room. They're not going to like decompress. Like we don't have any of those, 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 those things. They, they get to the city. They, they get their bearings. They find out where the, where the, the, the meeting is going to be. They immediately go there. You can imagine they're tired. They're worn. Maybe they're thinking about their homes, their families. Maybe they're thinking about, man, what are we going to find here? They don't even have a synagogue. You know, they show up at this riverside, they share the gospel, this lady gets saved in her family, she gets baptized. You can imagine, man, oh, praise the Lord, this is awesome, amazing. And so they, they, they go from this difficult ministry, this fruitful ministry, and like I said, just as it was then, it still is today. They go to another hurdle, verse 16, it happened as they were going to the place of prayer that a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who is bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. She was demon-possessed, and the devil was using her uh, to tell people's fortunes, and these, these, these people were making um, a lot of money off of this girl being demon-possessed. And so she's following Paul and the team, and she kept crying out, saying, These men are the bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Now, think about this. You know, I've been a pastor, uh, uh, you know, for, for almost 10 years now and been in ministry you know, 23 years. And uh, I've, there have been people like, oh, we love this church. Oh, we love this. We love that. We love that. And, 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 and I've learned through the, through the years, and I think God gave this early on, praise God. He deserves it all. I mean, it's all about him. And I'm not trying to sound pious in that, but that's just the reality. But I know that there is a temptation for many ministers, for many, and it doesn't have to be a pastor. It can be a, a, a youth pastor. It can be a music pastor. It can, be, it can be children's ministry. It can be anything. There's the temptation to, to be puffed up when things are going good or something good happens to, to absorb the credit and to absorb the praise and to be lifted up. So when we read this on the surface, somebody might say, man, that was, that's cool. They had their... They had a roadie, you know, they, they, they had somebody along with them to, to really pump them up and to, to be their cheerleader. You know, can you imagine having a cheerleader on the road? You know, you don't really know anybody and you're traveling from city to city and, and here you go, you got this, this young girl who's coming along and she is pumped up, man. She is getting everybody fired up and she's, she's going through the streets saying, all oh, these men are from God. They're bond servants of the Most High and they're proclaiming the way of salvation. Said, well, what's wrong with that? She was, she was telling everybody, trying to get everybody pumped to come to the revival meetings. What's wrong with that? The Bible says in verse 18, she kept doing this for many days. So good, she was faithful. And she was faithful at doing all this. That, I don't know any pastor, I don't know any ministry, uh, ministry leader who wouldn't want somebody on their team rooting behind them, saying, hey, come follow us, come listen to these guys. They got everything you need to hear about salvation. But the rest of the verse says this, but Paul was greatly annoyed which I love, I love the Word of God. Paul, Paul, we don't know all of his temperament, but again, the Word of God has these nuggets throughout, and you learn different things about him, right? We already learned that he was not going to allow Tim, uh, John Mark to come with him on this, this journey that they're on now uh, because he left them, he deserted them. So we can kind of grab a little bit maybe uh, of, of his temperament there. He was, he was solid, devoted. It was all about giving, you know, all to the Lord. And again, maybe there's some wisdom and discretion used there. The type of uh, journey that they were going to take, we talked about that already. But here, you've got this, this young girl chirping about how awesome they are. And she's doing it for several days. 
And the Bible gives us insight that Paul wasn't like, I'll tolerate it. No, no, no. He gets annoyed. And not just annoyed. Look at the word. It says, greatly annoyed. And he turned, and he said to the Spirit, which is amazing, right? And the reason why I want to say that is because I want you to, I want you to think about Ephesians, where it says this. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness of this world. It's so easy for us to look at each other and to look at people and be greatly annoyed. And yeah, we get in the flesh, and yeah, we mess up, but man, when, when we're attacked and whenever— when the, the, remember the enemy is subtle, right? He came to Eve in such a subtle way, and, and, and he's, he's more deceitful above all. I mean, he is, he's the father of lies. The enemy knows how to ensnare us. He knows how to trap us. He knows how to get us. He knows what works in our life. He's, been, he's got his, his, his imps watching us. I mean, all those things are the case. And so Paul could have allowed this. Paul could have said, hey, this is great. We've got some encouragement along the path. We don't have our families with us. And so we got uh, this young girl who's energetic, obviously doesn't have anything else to do. Uh, so she's traveling around with us and tells us how wonderful we are. No, no, no. Paul was greatly annoyed and he turns and he said to the spirit, the demon that was in her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And look what happens. And at that very moment, the demon came out, which is interesting, right? Especially in our day and time, as I was saying, this, this comfortable Christianity, I would even go beyond that. I believe we live in a time where celebrity church and celebrity ministers, when mega churches and everything, the sparkles and the fame in, in, in the church world, is prevalent. They had their, their crowd rouser in, on their team. They had someone to get everyone pumped up. They had, I mean, there, there are churches that literally have classes that, that uh, people sign up for, and, and then they, they tell them you're going to sit on the front uh, rows in, in, in the center section while the cameras are rolling, and you're going to be the ones that have your hands highest your, your voice is loudest, your tears most visible. You're going to be the ones that get everybody moving. It's real. But that's not what Paul was there for. He wasn't there for Paul. He wasn't sacrificing his time. He didn't sacrifice time with his family or his friends or whatever else he had so that he could be lifted up. While he was definitely not sinless or perfect, I believe Paul was interested in living by the theme that John the Baptist lived by, that Jesus proclaimed. John the Baptist said this, he must increase, I must decrease. And Jesus said, when I'm lifted up from the earth, it will draw all people to myself. So with this determination, I believe they go from the fruitful ministry and then face this annoying greatly annoying demon possessed girl but it gets even more difficult for him in verse 19 but when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone now the demon's gone now she didn't have this this supernatural power to tell people's fortunes and futures they got upset now they their 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 money bank there it's gone they they have no more hope of profit it says so what they did is they seized paul and silas these are obviously the leaders of this team. They dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men 
are throwing our city into confusion. They're Jews. Now remember, the reason I said it was interesting earlier is because there wasn't enough uh, household leaders, not, not enough men to even form a synagogue. So as these people, these ladies primarily, were meeting by the riverside. As I said a while ago, this city was a, a, a bustling city. They had the way, their way of life. They had the, what they wanted. Just leave us alone. But now, here comes Paul and his team, and they go to this riverside. They share the gospel. Lydia and her family get saved, baptized. Not a problem at all. Here comes this slave girl. She's telling people's fortunes, and she's raving about them. Paul gets greatly annoyed, casts the demon out of her, and now she no longer can tell people's fortunes. And now... These people don't want them in their city. You can come and do that. Lydia, whatever. She, she comes from Thyatira anyway, selling her, her fabrics and stuff and whatever, you know. But now you're starting to impede on our money, our comfort. These men are throwing our city into confusion and be, they're being Jews and they're proclaiming customs, which is not lawful for us to accept or observe because we're Romans. So again, it went from a difficult ministry to a fruitful ministry And then back to difficult ministry. Which is point two. Fruitful ministry often leads to difficult ministry. Difficult ministry often leads to fruitful ministry. Fruitful ministry often leads to difficult ministry. See, God wants us to be vessels for his honor. God wants to grow us. God wants to work in us and work through us. And with that perspective, our perspective needs to remain the same. Whether we're in a season of exciting, fruitful ministry... Man, we, we've seen that. I believe that we're in that as a church. I mean, we've had, we're having people join the church. We had a young man get saved. He was going to get baptized this morning. If he didn't have a family situation pop up. I mean, there, there's just some awesome stuff going on in our church. There's ministries that are growing, and uh, there's ministries that are, that are struggling and growing through the struggle. There's so many things, so many awesome things happening. But whether we're in a season of exciting, fruitful ministry, or whether we're in a season of struggle, through difficult ministry. Whether it's a time that it's hard to serve God and serve other, others or not, we need to remember the truth is God, of God word, God's word. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I love the perspective of the Apostle Paul as the Holy Spirit breathed these words through him. Sitting in a Roman prison, he writes these in, in Philippians chapter 3. I'm not... I have the whole chapter, but I'm not going to read it all. It says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things again is no trouble to me. And it's, it's a safeguard for you. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Again, as I said a while ago, we get nuggets throughout Scripture and kind of learn Paul's attitude, his makeup, his, you know, his, his heart set, his mindset, all those things. He says, again, we, we, we put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself, I, I might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I could, I could have more than them, he says. And then he explains why he could have more confidence in his own flesh he says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews as the law. I was a Pharisee. And talk about zeal. I was a persecutor of the church as, as to the righteousness that's found in the law. I was found blameless. I mean, you want to talk about being able to boast as a man in the flesh, as a person, I could do it more than anybody. But, verse 7, whatever things that I thought were gained to me and that everybody else thought were gained, those things I counted loss for the sake of of Christ. And more than that, I count all things 
to be lost, listen to these words, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, man, everything I count as loss, not for having uh, the, a, a golden ticket to be able to walk on streets of gold one day, and, 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 and I've got a mansion over the hilltop, which I'm not knocking any of that, but he didn't say any of that. He says, I count everything for, as loss, no, everything that was important to me, everything that's important in the world, I count as loss for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. Not of all the stuff he gives me, of simply knowing him for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish, dung, so that I may gain Christ. He is the treasure and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but a righteousness which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which only comes from God on the basis of faith. And then listen to these words. This is what we get. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and have fellowship with his sufferings, even being conformed to his death. Sometimes we, we want to quit ministry when we're inconvenienced by something or whenever we get a little too busy. Sometimes we want to quit ministry whenever somebody hurts our feelings. Sometimes we want to quit ministry whenever nobody wants to help. Sometimes we want to quit ministry when things don't go our way. Look, there are going to be highs and lows. There's going to be seasons of difficult ministry, and there are going to be seasons of fruitful ministry. And it appears all throughout Scripture, and in, in, in my experience and many others' experiences, that it's a cycle from fr fruitful ministry to difficult ministry, from fruitful ministry to difficult ministry. But through it all, the prayer is that Christ would be glorified. That Christ would be glorified. That Christ would be glorified. Because we're no longer our own. And it leads to this point. Faithfulness is vital and fruitful and difficult ministry. Let me ask you, what is the value of your eternity? What's the value of your eternity? What does it mean to you? Are we so temporally minded that the cross and the blood and the empty tomb and the promise of eternal life don't radically govern our perspective and decisions? Are, are we so temporally minded that we can get upset with somebody in the church, that, that things can go the way that we don't want them to go? Are we so temporally minded that the power of the cross, the power of the blood, the promise of eternal life, the, 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 the greatness of Jesus Christ, those things don't govern us, but the little temporal things do? Well, I just don't like the way that they did me. Man, I wonder how they did Christ. Well, we don't have to wonder. We can read how they did Christ. Even his own, his own followers, his own disciples, denying him and cursing him and leaving him. And yet on the cross, he's saying, Father, forgive them. Man. Are we so temporally minded that we can be sidetracked? It, it was a slave girl pulling them away. The temptation was to get puffed up. No, we're not doing that. It's about Jesus Christ. It, now they're, they're before these authorities, and, and they mess people's lives up and livelihoods up and, 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 and their schemes up. And now they're before them. Oftentimes difficult ministry, listen, 
can get more difficult. I can't tell you how many times in ministry that it's been really tough. One thing right after the other, right after the other, and you're like, man, God, just a little relief. And then something else gets put on top. It's like, whew, okay. <laughs> it can get more difficult. It did for this missionary team. I'm going to close, but we need to get this. The crowd rose up together against them. Uh-oh. <laughs> it just got really real for them. It got real, a lot more difficult. The crowd rose up against them. And the chief magistrates tore their robes off them. They stripped them naked in front of everybody. That sounds like fun. And, and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. So they're humiliated. They're stripped in front of everybody. Where are they? The Bible says the marketplace. They took them to Walmart. They, they stripped off all their clothes in front of everybody. It might not be that odd, you know, in Walmart. <laughs> but then they began to beat them with rods. And it says when they struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison. It wasn't enough that they were beaten and humiliated publicly in front of everybody. They threw them into prison, and they commanded the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a, such a command, he knew that that meant his life. And so he threw them into the inner prison, and he fastened their feet in stocks. Here they are. I mean, they, they, they may have their clothes draped on them. We don't know. For all we know, it says they were, they, their robes were tore off. They're sitting there naked in prison. They've been beaten several times. They're probably bleeding and bruised up. And, and, and they're alone. Their feet are in stocks. They're in the most inner prison. And how, more, how much more difficult can it get, right? I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, I've never experienced anything like that being a Christian. I mean, I, I, I've experienced thrown, stones being thrown, you know, uh, metaphorically, not, not literally. I, I've had rods on my back, again, metaphorically, not physically. These guys, it's, it's, it's enjoined. It's both physically and spiritually. This, they're, they're being persecuted for just simply obeying the Spirit's leading, right? That's what it was. They would have never gone to Philippi had Paul not listened to the Spirit. And look what happened. They make it all the way across the sea. Dangerous night, storms. They make it to Philippi. They finally get there. They finally get some ministry going, and one lady gets saved. And then the next thing you know, they're trying to cast out this demon of this annoying little girl. And then they get beat in the middle of the city with the clothes off, get thrown into prison. And now what? All of that was worth one family? Verse 25, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. That's such an encouragement. And it's so easy to give up when it's hard. It's so easy to just say, I'm just going to do this instead of that. They could have said, you know what? We're just going to sulk. We're going to ask God, just take us out of this. We don't want it anymore. We've done all of this for you, and there's one family that are saved. They could, have, they could have been down and depressed, and all of their circumstances take, overwhelm them. They could have, they could have send, seen each difficult hurdle as this obstacle, but in that moment of their greatest despair, at that moment of their, their greatest struggle, and when they were probably exhausted 
I don't think, again, the Bible gives us details for not. It says at midnight. You know what I like to do at midnight? Sleep. At midnight, probably naked, not in a cool, in a, in a, in a, in a neat, common or modern prison cell, but probably more like what we would think as a dungeon, shackled to the wall, and they're praying and praising God. And, the, and, and again, the little details, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so the foundation of the prison and the house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were unfastened. Uh, unfastened. And when the jailer awoke, he was sleeping, and when he awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew out a sword and was about to kill himself because he knew the, the, the mandate that was on him, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for the lights. He rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. After he had brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. It's that, for, that's that way for you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together and all who were in his house. And they took him that very hour, uh, took them that very hour of night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized and he and all his household were. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly having believed in God with his whole household. Now when the day came, the chief magistrate sent the policemen saying, release those men. The jailer reported the, these words to Paul saying, uh, the chief magistrates have sent to release you. Therefore come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beat us in public without trial, men who are Romans, and have thrown us into prison, and now they're sending us away secretly? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, indeed, is what it says. No, indeed. But let them come in themselves and bring us out. They, they paraded us out there. Look, they, they stripped us naked in Walmart, and then they beat us. They come down here in this dungeon to take us out. They, they were wrong. They, they can do this. Policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. <laughs> they, came into the, they came running into the prison, and they appealed to them. And when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave. Just please leave our city. Leave us alone. They went out of the prison, entered the house of Lydia, and when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them, and they departed. I would add to that point, be faithful and difficult and fruitful ministry so that God's glorified and the church is edified. Stay with it. Stay true. They could have not been faithful in the difficult time. They could have been moping around again. They could have been recluses. They could have griped at each other while they were in prison. They said, why did you do this? Why did you do that? You know what? If you would have done this, they could have done all of that. But they didn't. What they did was they kept praising God. They sang praises at midnight. These guys relentlessly served. They faithfully served. And when it was great and when it was not, when it was wonderful, when it was t difficult, when they were tired, when they were not, they were fighting the good fight of faith. And I want to encourage you with that. Don't just rejoice in fruitful ministry. We do that, though. We laugh. We connect. We love to be together when everything's amazing. We show up. We attend. We want to be faithful when it's fruitful and it's amazing. But we often depress when it's difficult. We scour. We grow jaded. 
Maybe we should just do something else, go somewhere else. We disconnect, we recluse, and we begin buying the enemy's lies and our flesh, our flesh's lies that we're better disconnected and we can handle this time better apart. We're down and we don't show up. We're not faithful. My life verse and I'm done. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It keeps me pushing. I want to challenge you and challenge your perspective this morning. Let's be faithful. Our lives here aren't to be lived for us. It's to be lived for the King. Let's be faithful. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge in the word. Thank you for the encouragement in your word. Lord, we see in this missionary team so many things, but among them, again, just a great example that oftentimes um, when things are really good and ministry is fruitful, it leads us to a difficult ministry. And difficult ministry leads us to fruitful ministry oftentimes. But you've called us to be faithful through it all. And Lord, I pray that you would start with me, that you would go throughout this whole church and that we would remain steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in your work. God, help us to learn this morning from this missionary team. There they were naked, strapped to a wall, chained to a wall, beaten and bruised. No doubt they were tired. And instead of moping and instead of griping and complaining, instead of blaming each other or uh, getting bitter, they sang praises to you and they prayed. Lord, help us learn from that. We'll praise you for what you do now. We ask you to help, help us respond rightly in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand just for a few minutes as he sings, I'll encourage you to sing.